In this three-part conversation podcast series, Kim Iman combines recognition of Older Americans Month and their theme of Aging Unbound with National Nurses Month. Each of these three podcasts highlight how nurses can make a difference in the lives of older adults. This is part two of the three-part series. So you spoke um, a little bit about advocacy when we were talking about educating the community. Yeah. So I want to kind of drill down at what advocacy and public policies are home health organizations working on currently for the aging population? As a member of IAC, which is the company I work for, the Indiana Association for Home and Hospice Care, that's one of the cool things that we get to do is that we work on advocacy. We work on public policy. We have people at the state house who are helping with proposing bills and writing bills, working with the the representatives. Um, There are a lot of things that we are working on. One of the biggest things that we work on every day really is increasing the home health budget, as well as what we call the aged and disabled waiver budget. And that's for more of those non-medical needs, but they work hand in hand with the medical needs to keep a patient at home. The budget is not adequate. Home health agencies cannot afford to pay their nurses the same rate that a hospital nurse would make. And when you think about it, home health nurses are going into unknown situations. Safety is a big concern. It requires a great amount of autonomy. We are not able to pay them what what they're worth and what their peers are making in facilities. Increasing the home health budget is huge, and we're eking away at it. We're making, you know, little bitty mini wins, but we are nowhere where we need to be. So that is at the top of our list all of the time. We are always working towards that. One of the other things we work on is decreasing administrative burdens for agencies. That could include things like new nurses having to have physicals or drug test or things of that nature. And I know those sound good and important, and I agree that drug testing is very important, but there are some aspects of it where it poses an administrative burden on agencies. And um, where that comes into play is mandating random drug screens. That is a financial and administrative toll on agencies. When you have to random drug screen half of your home health aides, you're pulling half of your home health aides out of the field, sending them somewhere for a drug screen. You're taking them out of the field for several hours and impacting patient care with that. That makes it difficult. Yes, absolutely. If we suspect there's something going on with someone absolutely we need to do a drug screen. But I think that we think that that needs to be more of an agency-specific decision. And that actually is something that we've just had passed in this legislative session. And so we're, we're very excited about that. The other thing that we just had passed was physicals. Agencies were having to pay for a new home health nurse to go to a physician and have a complete physical done Basically, the physical really tells us nothing. Can the nurse walk? Can she bend at her waist? You know, those are the things that we were getting from the physical. Well, that doesn't tell us anything. The things that we need to know is, do they have TB? Things of that nature, are they infectious? You know, do we want to send them out to patients? The physicals that we are doing just don't mean anything. And 
again, administrative burden, cost, uh, the amount of time it requires to get them in, et cetera. Those were big things that we were able to pass this year and hopefully will go into effect July 1st. Another thing that we are working on is increasing the scope of practice for our home health aides. In the nursing homes, CNAs, which are on about the same level as home health aides, they're allowed to do a lot more. A home health aide is not allowed to put a Band-Aid on a patient. If a patient picks off a scab and it starts bleeding, the home health aide is not allowed to put a Band-Aid on it without an order. The home health aide would have to call the nurse. The nurse would have to call the physician, get the order, call the home health aide back and say, yes, you may put a Band-Aid on that. Well, that's ridiculous. The other thing is, is that they can't put ointments on. So if a home health aide is giving a, a bath to a bedbound patient, and they need protective ointment on their bottom or on their coccyx, the home health aide's not allowed to do that if it's medicated. So, you know, just little things like that. We're not wanting home health aid to go out and start an IV by any means, but there are a lot of things that home health aides could be doing and that they are doing in other states that they're being delegated from nurses, they're being educated, and then they're able to do. And so that's another area that we are constantly working on with the state. We're working with FSSA to streamline our home health operations. So we're currently working, we just finished a work group regarding prior authorization changes. There were a lot of issues with prior authorization. It was really impacting um, our ability to provide care to patients. That's an area we just finished and we've, we've hopefully made some pretty significant changes that will really impact how we're able to provide care we're working now in a group on coordination of benefits with those who have Medicaid and Medicare, or maybe they have Medicaid and a Medicare Advantage plan. So there's a lot of coordination of care that occurs, and it's not pretty. It almost always impacts patient care because company A says, well, we're not going to provide that because company B should provide that. And company B says, oh, no, that's company A's job. We could go on doing that forever. So we're really working on some pretty specific guidelines as to who does what and when. That's really exciting that that's being done right now as we speak. Agencies are very excited about that and having some more specific guidelines here in Indiana, we have managed long-term services and supports coming down the pike. It's supposed to go live next year. That's another thing that we're doing. We're working with the agencies to become prepared and ready for what that's going to mean for their agencies. We're advocating for telehealth options for home health agencies, telehealth supervisory options. Another thing is hospice pass-through. Currently, when a patient's in hospice and they're in a skilled nursing facility, the hospice has to bill Medicaid for the room and board, and then Medicaid pays hospice eventually, and then hospice pays the facility. And so we are working on getting something in place to where Medicaid can just pay the um, skilled nursing facility directly for room and board. Those are some of our top things that are on our agenda right now as we speak, things that we are working towards for our aged population. That sounds awesome. You all are really busy um, with the advocacy and public policy. It wouldn't be Q-Source if I didn't ask about quality. It wouldn't be 
<laughs> who we are. So what are three areas in which home health nurses are working to improve healthcare quality for the future? Home health nurses, they're probably the biggest area right now of focus is um, reducing hospitalizations. There are a lot of reasons for that. One, nobody wants to be in the hospital. And if we can prevent that, we obviously want to do that. Two, there are penalties involved for um, payment for hospitals and for home health agencies. So there's a big push right now to reduce those hospitalizations. The way that they're doing that is they're really working on their education with the patients and families on some specific disease processes. So anything heart disease related, congestive heart failure, high blood pressure, coronary artery disease, any of those, those are all topics of education for for home health, along with respiratory, so COPD, COVID has been a huge one for us, and then diabetes and in-stage renal disease. Those are two other areas of education that we are working on with patients so that we can help them to keep themselves out of the hospital. And a lot of it involves just basic medication management making sure that they know what medicines they're taking and why they're taking them. It's amazing to me when when I talk to a senior elder who will say, oh, I take a handful of medicines and, and they show them to me and I'm like, well, what's this one for? I don't know. What's the yellow one for? I don't know. They don't even know what they're putting in their body. So it's so important for us to be able to make sure they know and understand so that they they have a better idea of what their body is doing and how to keep them out of the hospital by taking the correct medicines. Those are probably the three biggest areas that we're working in education, med management to ultimately reduce hospitalizations. Those are all three hot topics. And we're so grateful that um, you all are working on those in those areas to try to combat those things. This will be my last question. And it's kind of a personal question, but I'm sure you'll be able to answer it. (laughs) If you could have spoken to yourself after the first year of being a nurse, what would you tell yourself about healthcare quality that you did not know? (laughs) It's a loaded question. It is a loaded (laughs) question. (laughs) I think one of the biggest things that surprised me is that I assumed I became a nurse later in life. It was a second career. And Mm -hmm. I assumed that when I went to the doctor and I was sick, the doctor would run a lab test and it would tell him exactly what was wrong with me. And I now know that it is, (laughs) medicine Mm -hmm. is just a practice. There's so, there's so much gray involved in medicine. And so I think that's one of the biggest things that surprised me after, you know, being a nurse for a year, like, wow, he, I'm telling him what I think is, is going on here, you know, so, it, you know, it's a collaboration and it's a practice. So I think that was one of the biggest things. Another thing was just realizing how important it is for people to get home, to recuperate and to being in their own home with their family and friends, helping them 
that was interesting to me. And I think the biggest thing when it comes to quality is I had no idea how closely it was monitored. As a non-medical worker, I had no idea that these things were being looked at. And I definitely had no idea that the quality was being tied to reimbursement or, or payment to my providers. So I think that's probably been the biggest thing about quality that I just, I, I didn't realize. I, it's not something that I thought about before. I want to give you the opportunity to tell us about anything that's forthcoming within your agency um, that others may want to know about to attend or listen into. We always have educational opportunities available, and um, those those can be found on our website. One that is coming up within the next month that I actually teach is a home health 201 class. And what we do is we teach classes for home health and hospice and personal service agencies. And they typically have two different classes. The first class, 101, is really teaching people how to open an agency if that's what they want to do and give them some education and information on the regulations for home health or hospice or, you know, whichever area, what direction they're going into. Those are always on our calendar. We work at Palmetto GBA, our our MAC, and um, they provide educational opportunities for home health agencies. And so those are always great for our home health folks. Those would probably be the biggest educational opportunities that we have. They're always focused on home health hospice or personal service agencies. The other thing that we are working on, we have a grant that we're working to create a home health aid educational opportunity. So if somebody says, hey, I think I would be a home health aide. Right now, there's no place that they can go to get that certification. Be a CNA, you can go to, there are different CNA schools, you can go to Ivy Tech, but for home health aides, that is not an option. So we are working on that right now as we speak, and it's going to be a large portion of online and simulation training, and then um, three days in a practice lab. And then once you're finished, you will be ready to be placed on the home health aid registry and you will be available to hire on as a home health aid for an agency. That's really exciting. Um, That's going to be huge for our state. That's an area that we've really had issues with. And so we're we're very excited to to get that going and, and be working on that. Oh, all of that sounds so amazing. And I'm thankful for you attending today. And we'll try to do whatever we can to get that information out to individuals on this podcast in whatever form. And and hopefully we'll be working together in the future. On Absolutely. Various, yes, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. Various things. And we're grateful for all the information that you gave today. Thanks for the opportunity, Kim. I really appreciate it. QSource would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to learn more, please visit us at qio.qsource.org. Visit our website for additional podcasts, videos, documents, and more. In addition to listening to QSource podcasts on our website, you can also find us on most media platforms, such as Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, and others.